Hello, and welcome to Voices from the Village, a podcast from the Wyoming Early Childhood Professional Learning Collaborative. It's often said that it takes a village to raise a child. Wyoming Early Childhood educators are an essential part of that village, and we've created this podcast to help invigorate and inspire your work. I'm your host, Nikki Baldwin, and today I have the privilege of welcoming two women that I have had the unbelievable opportunity of collaborating with over the last year as part of the Federal Preschool Development Grant in Wyoming. Nicole Parks and Joelle Wheatley work for an amazing nonprofit organization, Leading for Children. I first learned about Leading for Children about a year and a half ago when I was able to spend a day learning from Nicole and her colleagues about coaching with powerful interactions. As my coworkers know, that experience was so transformative for me and was perfectly timed as it happened right as we were creating the vision for what was then the brand new Wyoming Early Childhood Professional Learning Collaborative. There is nothing more exciting than finding people who share your most important values. And what Leading for Children does is they help bring those values into practice in states all across the country. Since that time, Nicole, Joelle, and I have gotten to know each other very well as we have partnered to lead some exciting work in Wyoming to articulate a vision of quality for early childhood education. We will talk more about this work later in the podcast. Some of you may also recognize their voices, particularly Nicole, because Leading for Children was a huge part of our Cowboy Conference this fall. Nicole gave the conference keynote on Friday. You can watch all of their sessions at our website, wiecplc.org. Nicole and Joelle, welcome. Thanks, Nikki. It's so wonderful to be here today. Thank you, Nikki. We're really excited to join you. We're here today to talk about the power of collaboration. And who better to do that with than two of the best collaborative partners I've ever had the pleasure to work with. I'm so excited for you to introduce yourselves to our early childhood education community in Wyoming. Would you guys both just take a second, whoever wants to go first, and just tell us a little bit about you, where you live. You're across the country from each other. So I would love to have you tell everybody a little bit about you. You want to get us started, Nicole? Sure. So my name is Nicole Parks, and I live in Arkansas. I am the Associate Director Programs at Leading for Children. I have been in the field of early education ever since I was the age of 11. Um, Yes, that's right. I said 11. (laughs) So I actually started as a nanny for a family friend whose father was in the military and had to be deployed and the mom needed help with three of her children. And so I became a live-in nanny. Um, And so I stayed with that family during the week while the mother worked outside of the home and then I would go home on the weekends. And so that's really how I started and didn't think at the time that that would become a career of mine. Uh, My interest was actually in criminal psychology. That's where my interest was. And up until 12th grade, I really thought that was the path I'd be taking. And lo and behold, I ended up going into early childhood education, started as an infant teacher. And with that particular group of children at the parents' request, I continued to move up with them. So I started as an infant teacher and stayed with that particular group of children until some of them were in third and fourth grade as their after school teacher. And then from there, I went back to being an infant teacher, became a site director, and then later ended up becoming a director in a very large non-for-profit accredited program, NACI accredited program. 
I did that for about nine years and then transitioned into being a program coordinator for our state's QIS, where um, if you take QIS outside of it, my main role was to support the team that supported directors and leaders across the state despite program type. So we worked with Head Start, Early Head Start, non-for-profit, faith-based, local educational facilities such as schools. If you had a legitimate early learning program, then we offered our services to you through the university, um, Arkansas State University. So I did that for about nine years. And then fell in love with the vision of leading for children long before it became an actual brick and mortar organization. And so it just seemed to make sense that um, about a year ago, year and a half now, when Judy and I talked about my future with the organization, that it made sense to transition from a consultant to a full-time staff member. Wow, that is quite a journey. You've had so many experiences, but I'm stuck on that first original group of of toddlers that you had. Um, Do you still keep in touch with them? That is a long time to be loving some of those kids. Yeah. Yes, some of them, yes. And, And what's funny is that they keep in touch with each other. And so those that I don't have direct contact with, Mm -hmm. I still have like, you know, an offshoot of a Uh conversation with them. And so that is exciting to still be a part of those children's lives. And I can't believe it to see that many of them are now married with children of their own, because it seems like just yesterday I was their teacher. And so it that is a long time and those children become um, part of your family. And so many of them are also friends with my children. Amazing. I can't even imagine what an impact you had on those lives. That's super cool. Thanks, Nicole. Joelle, you came to early childhood, not in a typical way. So I'm excited for you to share with everybody a little bit about you. Thank you. Uh, Hi, Nikki. Hi, Nicole. Uh, My name is Joelle Wheatley. I am in Seattle, Washington the Associate Director of Strategy and Evaluation for Leading for Children. And I have, you're right, I've been in the field of early education, early learning since 2012. I started in early learning as a consultant for an organization that worked with the state of Washington and the Gates Foundation on early learning programs and policy and evaluating them. I came to that organization. My career has been in program evaluation mostly. So I, since college, have been doing policy and program evaluation, mostly for K-12 education uh, with some brief stints and other things. um, Kept coming back to program evaluation and came to this consulting firm that did program evaluation for the state. And um, through that work, I met Judy Jablon, who... I just think was amazing. And like Nicole fell in love with the mission of Leading for Children as Leading for Children was becoming an organization. And so, yeah, eventually came to join the organization as well. Okay, so as you both know, this is a podcast about professional learning. And so we wanted to start off by having you both think about yourselves as professional learners and just take a minute and think about what really set you on your path as a learner. What really turned on your brain to early childhood? What kind of experiences have shaped your thinking in that way? Anybody want to jump in and go first? I'll go first. (laughs) I thought I would wait Joelle out this time. It didn't work. (laughs) Um, So actually, I guess this is almost like just a 
I don't even know what type of moment to call it. What really set me on the path as a learner was my Head Start teacher. And her name is Mrs. Kennedy. And when Mrs. Kennedy would talk with me, she would all, I was a huge and still am a huge introvert. And so a lot of times children would be playing and I would be off to myself. And what, what a lot of other teachers saw was this kid that was very isolated and to herself. And what Miss Kennedy saw and what was actually happening was this kid that would sit down on the sidelines and watch and observe everything and was always thinking and trying to figure out why certain things were and just wasn't saying it out loud. And so when she would talk to me, she would say things like, your brain is so big, Nicole, <laughs> or I can tell that you're thinking, you know, or she would say, here's what I'm thinking tell me what you're thinking. And she would specifically call me out. And because I grew up in a small town um, in the country during those times, you could, you relied on sometimes your teachers, your neighbors to transport you. So I mm -hmm. also had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with her because I would go home with her and wait for my aunt to pick me up. Mm -hmm. And so she would always just talked to me like I was a person, wanted to hear what I was thinking. And so I always saw myself as a thinker and as somebody who could learn. And she also would tell me these stories that would captivate me. And I don't know, it just stirred such a longing for learning in me that that just became a part of who I am. And so when I really formally said, okay, I'm in the early education field. I accept that. I'm not going to be a criminal profiler. Mm -hmm. Then I thought it was only fitting that I learned everything that I could about this work and about why this work was important. And I don't know, I think I'm just, I'm one of those people who likes to collect things. It's just the thing that I like to collect is knowledge whether it be quotes or books or, I mean, you see my bookshelves, right? I have <laughs> two bookshelves full of books and literally boxes in my attic. So I think it really was my, that was a long way of saying that it really was my Head Start teacher, Mrs. Kennedy, that set me on a path as a learner and is it just shaped the way that I see myself. That's an amazing story. Thank you, Nicole. I feel like I should start to go first. It's intimidating to follow you. <laughs> it is not. Are you kidding me? You are a rock star, Joelle. Uh, I, uh, I would say for me, you know, um, I have a, a family that never stops talking. <laughs> I'm the youngest. Uh, my nearest sibling is nine years older than I am. So I think I just always had to catch up. My dad's a professor. My mom's an activist. And so our just our family conversations were always like, I don't know. There was not very much small talk. It was all just digging in and like <laughs> disagreeing and, and, you know, trying to make sense of things. And so I'd say I was, you know, pretty lucky for that. Um, I'm not sure if my husband would agree because <laughs> that's our family now, <laughs> whether he likes it or not. And, um, and it, that, that's, you know, to your point, Nikki, about how I've kind of, I'm newer in the field of early education. There's so much to know. And, you know, we, I also had kids kind of later in life and I'm just finding with our two-year-old and our 10-month-old, there is so much to know, you know? And so it's just so cool to be in an organization that prioritizes learning, in a field that prioritizes learning. The evaluation is all about asking questions, listening to the answers, being open, 
mm-hmm. testing hypotheses. So I just feel really lucky for that nexus of all of that together. That's interesting too, as you were talking, Joelle, I had an insight into myself that I don't think I'd realized for quite some time, which is that I think what set me on my path with my intense interest in early childhood was having my daughter. It was the coolest thing ever. Up until then, I thought I was going to teach middle school, but then I had a kid. And um, and so just watching her grow, that really was just like so mind expanding for me. And it, and then I've never looked back. So I've just been in early childhood ever since. So she grew yeah. up, but I didn't grow up. I stayed. <laughs> well, I think it also, you know, it made me, Nicole, when you talked about following those infants at their parent, at their family's requests, like I can totally see that it's totally changed. I always had a lot of respect and admiration for early learning professionals. Now that we see it firsthand, you know, mm-hmm. I just, I wish, I wish their infant teachers could follow them. And yet I also love every teacher they've had. I wish they could just have a group of growing adults that stayed in their world. Mm-hmm. Um, just that, yeah, Nikki, I agree. It's, it's watching it, it's experiencing it firsthand. And it's also seeing how meaningful and important those interactions are. I think so. Um, I have a question for each of you about the other person. So um, we're going to be talking about collaboration a lot in this interview. I just wanted though, you guys are on a collaborative team at Leading for Children and you now everybody knows a little bit about your background. So Nicole, I wanted to ask what perspectives does Joelle bring to your team that are different or super valuable because of her different background? It could just also be because she's awesome and Joelle, but like what unique contributions does Joelle make to your team? Wow, that is a huge question. First of all, because I do think that she's freaking awesome. Um, (laughs) So let's start there. And to just, I don't know, I think the sum it up, the best thing is I remember the first time I was introduced to Joelle. Keep in mind, we've only been in the room together once. Um, Wow, yeah. Yes, we've only seen each other in person once. And so I just remember being on the phone with her and we were talking about our work and she asked the question, I don't even know what the question was. It was the question that she asked, it was more so the tone in which she asked it in. Mm -hmm. It was so much passion and so much just knowledge. And I just went, whoa, who is this chick, (laughs) right? Like she, she is brilliant and I need to get to know more about her. And I think what Joelle really brings to our team She brings her passion and her wisdom and her knowledge. She also really brings, it's this real genuine sense of curiosity. For Joelle, it's not good enough to know why that something worked, right? Mm -hmm. She wants to know, well, why did it work? And how can we make it better? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's just the perspective that she always brings. And I have so much huge respect for that because what I find in collaborating with Joelle is I don't ever get comfortable. Uh And I mean that in a good way, right? I don't ever get comfortable because she challenges us to grow. She challenges us to always think about our practice and then take what we're learning and do something to move further or deeper in it. And I really think that a lot of teams don't have that. And so I have so much deep respect and value for that, Joelle. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Joelle, it's your turn. What, what unique perspectives and wisdom does Nicole bring to your team? 
Yeah, I would say it's a few things. One thing is Nicole has like such a true sense of what's important and what's right that she does not get distracted by the static, which is so helpful. Mm. You know, I actually don't know if that's going, what's going on inside out outwardly. It's, it's just a unflappable, calm, true focus on what's important, which helps us all do the work in the best way. Mm-hmm. Her, her commitment and passion for adults and children um, for all adults and children, for equity, for fairness, for what's right, um, all of it. And, and it just drives everything she does to make sure that every single person is seen and heard. And it's just extraordinary. And her commitment to relationships, you know, above, mm-hmm. above everything else, it helps us understand that process is important, that how we do things is more important than almost anything. And it's just, I feel like it makes us all better. It helps us do our work right. It helps us understand what to focus on, how to focus our time, how to focus our energy. And I, I just feel so lucky for it. I feel like everything we do is better when Nicole's involved. So we feel really lucky that she's involved and that she's, you know, kind of the associate director of programming so she can help us orient our programming. So I would say that. And also, I don't know how you do it, Nicole. You just have the most wonderful way with words, which is really important, you know, to say the right thing (laughs) Uh the right way. It's just, again, it helps us. It orients us. It helps us focus. It helps us. I don't know. And it, and it feels good. It feels good at the end of the day when we talk to you. I just always feel better after after talking to you professionally or personally. And I feel really lucky for that. That's very reciprocal. You know that, right? (laughs) I do. I just have to say that as a person who's been able to work with you both now, um, I see both of them. I think you have great wisdom about you see each other well, because I I share those same things. Like I can see that in both of you. It's pretty cool. And when, when we're thinking about developing successful collaborative teams. To me, it just seems like that ability to see and recognize what your team members bring to the table and how much better you are because they're there. That seems like a really important perspective that we would wanna bring to the table. So thanks for sharing that both of you. So let's do talk about collaboration. And this one's just a big question to open up the conversation. And this time we're gonna make Joelle go first. Yeah. Ready, Joelle? (laughs) I'm ready. So what makes a successful collaboration? Oh, that is a great question. I would say time, giving it the necessary time, um, a, a free flow of information, not assuming that people understand things that you understand, mm-hmm. patience, care, you know, really wanting collaboration. You have to really want to hear what the other person has to say. If you have an idea, and you kind of just want to share your idea, that's not really collaboration. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's really got to yep. be what as leading for children calls it two way. You've got, you've got to come ready to talk and to listen. And so I guess those are kind of the things that come first respect. Thank you. Yeah. How about you, Nicole? Well, Joelle was so in my head because <laughs> the first word that came to my mind is respect. For me, that is the bedrock of any successful collaboration is that, There has to be a respect for each other. And there also has to be a shared respect for the work that you're doing. Because the work, or rather the purpose or mission behind the work, is the thing that's going to keep you grounded, even in times when that collaboration gets hard. And so to me, I think it really comes down to respect. Because if you really respect each other and you respect the work, you're going to do all those things that Joelle talked about. You're going to listen, listen without judgment, 
more importantly, you're going to ensure that all voices are heard. You're going to be more open to um, consider the fact that maybe your idea isn't the good one. You know, <laughs> maybe I was wrong. So to me, it really all stands on the shoulder of respect. You guys work on collaboration all the time. One of the things you do that I think is unique and super special about your organization is you do large scale collaboration. So like you lead collaborative efforts in states, you led a collaborative effort in Wyoming that involved how many people were on our quality learning network. It was a huge group, more than 20, 30, 30 people. And so I was thinking about some wisdom that could come from what you know helps those kind of collaborations be successful that might be useful to someone who's, let's say, leading a program that has, you know, 10 or 15 teachers or lead teachers and then that many more um, assistant teachers in a program. So like sort of let's talk about big scale, bigger scale collaboration. Can you guys just share a little bit about how leading for children and how you approach leading those kind of collaborative efforts? Yeah, I might start. (laughs) Leading for Children has three tenets that we use in all our work. And I think this is the best way to answer. Well, one good way to answer your question is to talk about these three tenets because they are so applicable to everything. I've started applying them to so many things in my life. So the first is wisdom to understand that everyone that you're interacting with has wisdom from their lived experience and to Mm -hmm. not assume that you're bringing the answer that someone needs to be fixed. Uh In fact, that every single person that is collaborating with you has their own genuine important wisdom. Mm -hmm. The second is team that there's value in learning and partnership, value in stretching each other's thinking and to really respect the team dynamic. Mm -hmm. And the third is modeling. What we do with each other is what we want each other people to do with each other, if that makes (laughs) sense. So the way we interact, we listen, we talk, we share, we, everything, everything is, in in it, um, the way we communicate is modeling what we hope mm-hmm. that um, people do with each other and that adults do with children. You never come to a child and say, I know the answer and you don't. So why would you come to an adult and do that? Right. It's a perfect example. What would you add to that, Nicole? Wow. Um, I think the only thing I would add to that is we start with relationships. We truly and honestly believe as an organization that relationships matter more than anything. We know that with any learning, with any of the work that we're doing, it involves risks. Mm -hmm. It, It involves risks. It involves the willingness to be vulnerable and to stretch. And in order for us to collaborate, before we, I guess, before we can ask other people to collaborate with us and with each other to be willing to take those risks and to stretch, we first have to be able to do that with each other as a team. Mm -hmm. And so we spend a lot of time as a team really making sure that we're showing up with and for each other the same way we're showing up with and for our learning partners and then modeling that for them and kind of setting that tone. So that's how they show up with and for each other because ultimately this is how we want the adults to show up for children and with children. Thanks, Nicole. And I I just have to say that that perspective um, is what drew me to your work so powerfully in the time that I shared um, with you all, even in just in a short day's time, just that 
deep respect for people and this commitment to just act with integrity. So you're treating others the way you want them to treat somebody else. And just this parallel process, just experiencing that much respect from the person who's supposed to be the expert up in front of you. Uh, it just, it powerfully changes the learning dynamic. It's pretty amazing. So thank you. That's great. When you guys think about, so let's think about group collaboration. We'll sort of stay on that for a minute. I'm just curious if you have any experiences where that wasn't great all the time or where it really stretched you in ways that you might not have chosen um, yourself to do. So if, if you could share maybe a little bit about an, a collaborative experience that wasn't smooth, because I'm sure some of our listeners are going, listen, that's great stuff, but right now I'm in a situation and it's not going smoothly. So can you share an experience like that and maybe what you've learned from it? Sure. So one experience that I would share that's actually coming on the end of its third year, and we're so sad to see this experience um, coming to an end, when we first entered that experience, we we did we we did all the things we knew to do. We um, made individual calls, we got to know the people and the places. What we didn't do was really think about how that translates from face-to-face -to, -face to when you're doing something virtual. Mm -hmm. And so I remember the first time we invited this group to do a virtual collaboration with us, it was less than crickets. I'll say that <laughs> a majority of the people didn't participate, those who did, didn't talk. And so it was really kind of going this, and we very much believe in two-way. And so for a moment, I know personally, I was taken aback that, wow, this is so different than when we were in the same room. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I understand what happened. Is this really going to work? Is it possible to collaborate with such a huge group? Mm -hmm. And so what we learned from that was the first thing is that there is a difference between face-to-face -face mm -hmm. and virtual and how do you create that space virtually, right? Mm -hmm. And and also something as simple as making sure everyone, and this really gets at equity, making sure everyone has what they need to mm -hmm. sit in that space. And so even beyond, I tell you the thing that really resonated for me, I was going, well, I don't understand. I know that one person that wasn't saying anything, I know that she has the computer. I saw her on it. What I didn't take into account was she worked a second job. Uh -huh. Because we all know that this, no one is in this field to become a millionaire, right? Mm -hmm. And so she was working a second job. And because she was working a second job, she could not equitably participate and collaborate virtually. So that was something that I learned was that you have to consider all spaces in that collaboration and not just the face-to-face. -face. You really have to consider any space you will sit in together um, as a collaborative and be sure that you pay attention to setting the same environment. That's amazing. And actually, I kind of want to dig deeper because this let this there's a question that I wanted to ask you both about specifically this. So collaborating across distances virtually. Now everybody's been trying to do this now for eight, nine months, if they weren't before. You guys were probably doing it a little bit before because you're spread all over the country. Um, is there any specific 
wisdom that you could offer about like from that experience that you just shared or other experiences where people who are trying to pull together collaboration virtually, things that they really want to think about, about ways that might be different than in person. Do you want to start, Joelle, or would you like for me to start? Yeah, I'd love you to continue that story and then I can add to it. Yeah. Okay. I think for us, the biggest epiphany was stop focusing so much on, and, and again, we were doing this before COVID started, mm -hmm. um, definitely more so afterwards. The idea that we had to stop allowing the space, the virtual space itself, to become a barrier. So mm -hmm. at first it was, we were so caught up on how do we do this virtually that mm -hmm. we forgot what we knew. And so we <laughs> had to take a step back and say, guys, we are smart. We're really good at bringing people into a space together mm -hmm. and building a sense of team. So let's take those same skills that we have face-to-face -face and think about now, what does that look like virtually? And so that would be my first tip is, close your eyes and imagine what you would do if you were in a room with that group mm -hmm. and then take those same strategies and ask yourself, how can I replicate that in a virtual setting? I love that. And I love that for even teachers, teachers that had to move to virtual and that may happen again. We don't know what's coming. Yeah. I think it is easy to just think, well, we've lost everything good that we used to know how to do. I think that's just so wise to refocus on because the principles that guide your work, they, they hold true whether or not it's virtual or in person and then rethink it that way. I love yeah, that. Nikki, I want to add that. I um, asked Nicole a very similar question because I feel like um, it's hard for me to like read body language the same way to kind of read the subtle cues the same way on Zoom mm -hmm. as it was in person. There was just like, it happened more intuitively in person. And that's what Nicole said to me too. And I guess I just want to reiterate what you said, which is like, you know, think of consciously about what you do when you're in person to understand someone beyond mm -hmm. the words that come out of their mouth and see if you can replicate that both you know, understanding and also giving, you know, are you, you, are, are you conscious of your own body language on zoom, you know, or, or whatever technology you use mm -hmm. virtually it doesn't have to be zoom. The idea of um, both what, what you're receiving and what you're giving. And I think Nicole, that was really, really helpful advice. That's helped me since. Okay. Joelle, do you have an experience you would want to share of a collaboration that really stretched you? Yeah, I, I do. I just want to add to Nicole's point, just to highlight sure. something else she said. Yeah. Um, I think Leading for Children has been conscientious and working with barriers to access to technology. And I think this is like really relevant, mm -hmm. though, you know, as we're 10 months into this pandemic, maybe they've worked out. It's not only, you know, you know, being able to find a Wi-Fi signal, <laughs> um, having uh -huh. a technology that you can access. It's also, you know, comfort with the different remote technologies. And so again, we're sort of into this pandemic now, we're sort of into this way of communicating, but the idea of just being really conscientious of everyone, everyone's access. And if there's any barriers to access that don't have anything to do with the participation themselves, it's just a technology barrier that can be overcome somehow. I love that because I do think you can sit, if you if anybody here has been on a meeting that you're trying to run that's a Zoom meeting and, and there aren't even crickets, like Nicole said, it's easy to place the blame and responsibility mm -hmm. for change on the people that are out there in the audience and wonder what's wrong with them, that they're not participating. It's super important to flip that and think about what it is you can do that invites that participation. That's that. right. So I would say I had um, two experiences in the last year that were similar. Well, they weren't similar. They had the similar, similar underlying 
um, barrier to collaboration. And that okay. is that we didn't focus on our relationship first. <laughs> uh-huh. And um, so to Nicole's point, I think, you know, in, in both cases, I think um, we didn't have enough information. We weren't understanding where each other was coming from. And we didn't understand each other's intention when we were speaking and we didn't understand um, uh, each other's meaning when we were speaking. And so both, both went kind of sideways because of like not taking the, not prioritizing the relationship and not taking the time to really clear out the assumptions to make sure we're really hundred percent on the same page, which again, probably would have been the same in person. I just wonder it it was remote and and one of them was even like some email miscommunication. And so the Mm -hmm. idea of like really um, you know, refining your communication, being really careful about that and thinking about what, you know, the impact of what you say, being really clear on that. So for me, I learned a lot about collaboration in both those circumstances. Yeah. In fact, I just heard two words that I think are super important, Joelle, that I just want to call out and give you guys a chance to share. At least I've heard at least two of the commitments from you um, of optimistic leadership, which is really important in leading for children. And I would just love for you both to take a minute and share what those commitments are with our audience. And then let's apply it to, obviously it works well with collaboration, but let's see if we can apply some of that to this conversation about how we, how we can best collaborate. So would you guys share with us the five commitments? I'm sure. Absolutely. I was watching Joelle to take my cue. She's the (laughs) boss of me. She kind of tells me when to go. (laughs) (laughs) Please. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the five commitments of optimistic leadership, they are five commitments that, um, and when we say commitment, it means that we are committed to understanding and using and applying these five commitments okay. um, to how we show up. So they're, they're not habits, they really are commitment and they require um for us to do work starting with our own selves first. Mm-hmm. And so these five commitments, they, I call them guardrails. They really serve as a grounding agent and a guide. And so I'll just kind of say what they are. And so the, what, the first is to think impact um, mm-hmm. to guide your decisions. And so really it's about what's the impact that I want to have, whether it's uh, one-on-one collaboration with another one other person, or if I'm in a group, what's the ultimate impact? The second is really to cultivate self-awareness. So am I aware of my own self? Am I aware of my biases? Am I aware of my feelings? Am I aware of what's going on in my body physically? Am I aware of how I'm feeling in this moment and why? So that I can then manage and make sure that I show up the way that I want to. The other, and Joel referred to it, is refined communication. So there's mutual clarity and understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, without mutuality, there is no collaboration. And so that's really key. And then the nurture relationships, which we've talked a lot about relationships. Mm-hmm. And so it's really nurturing relationships is the bedrock of collaboration. If we want to collaborate, we have to nurture those. And then there's activate curiosity. And our dear colleague, Laura Ensler, offered us a phrase, turn worry into wonder. And so really, when we have these moments where we are making assumptions about a situation or a person, or there's less than crickets in an interaction, can we suspend that judgment of the participants and really turn that into wonder and say, hmm, 
I wonder what it is about this particular environment in this time that's not inviting them to join in in -hmm. this moment. And so um, we really do use these um, five commitments, first of all, with each other. We and there is no there, we would say in that it really is the more we use them, the more we learn about them, the more deeply they become interwoven into our work and how we show up. And so with that, Joelle, I'm going to then hand it over to you. Yeah, I would say that was like absolutely perfect and complete. And uh, my own experience with them is to Nicole's point, the the, the necessity to practice them. They are so important and they're they're hard (laughs) they're worth it we are not experts uh judy came up with these commitments and she's practicing them as well um we are Mm -hmm. all just learning together and so when we practice them in the learning you know in the format of learning networks like we've done in wyoming we are learning as we do and that's what's really wonderful about them and i would say they you know they're something that i've used in my personal life as much if not more than in my professional life just because there's Uh more hours in the day for personal life yeah my personal relationships and they're they've really showed up as helpful in everything so i yeah i can't say enough good things about them i guess yeah me either and listeners if you want to know more some of the presentations from leading for children at the cowboy conference were about the five commitments. And you can watch those sessions on our website, wyecplc.org. Those are free and you can access those right now. So there's a lot more to dig into with that. um, And you can find some more information. If you'd like to know more beyond those sessions, get a hold of your professional learning facilitator and we'd be happy to do some more work with you around that. So thank you. I'm glad that you included those. Those are such a powerful, I don't know, way to reframe everything in how we interact with others. So I, I really appreciate that their commitments and that idea that it's not like a, a habit and I've totally got it. I got that habit. I'm nailing it. It's just that yeah. it's a thing we come back to. We just, it's where we return to ground ourselves. And I think that's really nice. And um, ironically enough, Nikki, these commitments were developing collaboration. So without a doubt, that's right. Mm-hmm. I hope Judy doesn't hear me say this. Judy is what I consider the mother of the five commitments <laughs> of optimistic leadership. They uh-huh. were birthed from her deep commitment to respecting all people. Yet she has such a genuine value for collaboration that she brought together um, an advisory team when she mm-hmm. first started to conceptualize these. And so um the commitments themselves were created in the spirit of collaboration. And, um, and, and even now there's an advisory council that we continue to meet with mon- monthly to continue to talk about these commitments and how we're using them and what we're learning about them. Mm-hmm. So I just want to shift gears a little and talk about our work in Wyoming. Uh, our work together in Wyoming and just get to celebrate, take a minute and just celebrate the great things that have come from that. So for our listeners, just pre-COVID, we had begun some work with Leading for Children um, to bring a group of early childhood professionals from around the state together and start thinking and talking about quality and what that looks like in our state. And the thing we were most determined to do is to have the definition, the vision, the understanding of quality come from early childhood educators themselves and not some top-down 
room full of people that aren't working with kids telling you what quality looks like. And when we knew that's how we wanted to approach it, we knew automatically that our partners needed to be leading for children because of the way you approach your work. I would just love to have you both share anything you want about that experience of collaborating in what, what we termed, you termed the quality learning network um, with our team from Wyoming. Maybe we could just start by saying what a quality learning network is. It's, um, I will say, like a community of practice. The idea that um, people who are cross role, cross geography, people who are in children's ecosystems in all these different critical and important ways come together to learn together. They're active. Uh, we've used the word architects before. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're active participants. They're driving this membership. It is it is no. It is so two way, and it's so it's it's um. A collaborative partnership, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicole, is there anything else you'd say about a learning network and how you'd think of that, just that concept? That is ultimately how we would think of a learning network. Um, and I tell you, in thinking about particularly the work in Wyoming, I have to say, and not because I'm on the podcast, I think I've said this to several people, this has been some of the most rewarding work that I have ever done as a professional. It to, to be able to sit in a space with these adults from all over a child's ecosystem and mm-hmm. to really hear, there was such a, um, a synergy in what they feel is right for young children and such a commitment to ensuring that that happens. And mm-hmm. oh my goodness, the wisdom, the wisdom that was in the room. I tell you, when I said that this was my notebook and it's almost full, I mean, <laughs> it's like pages and pages and pages of words and things that different members have said. Mm-hmm. And it is like a gold mine of just what every child should have and what they should have access to and how we as adults can ensure that these things happen. And so to be able to sit in that space and to begin, be able to think together um, using the coherent path, the quality, so that it could be really holdable, no matter who was interfacing with that information, I just had so much huge respect for that and just so much fun Mm -hmm. doing that work. And I think the thing that really stood out to me the most was without a doubt, everyone wanted to make sure that this is something that would be accessible to any adult in a child's life. And I just had so much respect for that. And I grew so much as a result of the conversations that we would have. You're here. Yeah. I would say it was an extraordinary experience for so many reasons. I mean, 30 people, some of whom knew, knew each other, but most didn't came together and there was, you know, an automatic trust. Um, talk about, you know, activating curiosity. This is hard. We did some hard thinking together. We thought, mm-hmm. what does quality actually look like? That is mm-hmm. a hard question to answer. And these, I would say that every single member showed up consistently, mm-hmm. gave a lot of time, you know, in their homes, we saw people's families joining in their in their offices. Like people were bouncing the babies in their childcare center while participating. It was it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. People's commitment and care, 
and yeah, and curiosity, no one, it, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to dig deep intellectually like that. And I think it didn't seem like there was any frustration. There was only excitement. You could hear the synapses fired. People got, mm -hmm. um, you could see friendships forming um, at the end when we asked people, you know, what, what is different because of this work? We heard people talking about, you know, really understanding that in this state, there are a lot of extraordinary people doing the same thing they're doing, caring about the same things they're caring about and like mm -hmm. what strength that brings them. Yep. And like, you know, wanting to sp spread it, wanting to talk to people in church, wanting to talk to people in their communities, in the grocery yep. store, you yep. know, besides legislators, like everyone, just the excitement of like, now let's go forth. <laughs> you know, I thought that uh -huh. was really cool. And we, I'm not sure if we, have talked about this yet that we're going to we're creating a um, a document about this so kind mm -hmm. of the, the nicole you know talked about her notebook of wisdom we've translated what everyone said and also people were so generous with sending in pictures of their experiences of quality what does it look like created a like a, a guide of what does quality look like in wyoming so and like i just have to say like, yeah i can't wait for you all to see it listeners because it's truly a Wyoming document. You can feel it from the cover. I know the kid that's on the cover, you know, the photos in there are of our kids and the words in there are from Wyoming educators. So I, we can't wait to share it. It will be available on our website and we're going to have hard copies to give to anyone who wants one in the state. And so just for more info, just wait, there'll be more information coming soon and reach out to your professional learning facilitator if you're super excited and want, you get your hand, want to get your hands on this. It's intended to be a working document. It's not intended to collect dust on your shelf. It's just to help you think through things that you can do, things that you're already doing so well in your program to make sure that all kids in Wyoming have access to great experiences. So yes, it's been truly a pleasure. Um, some of the team that were, were part of that, that knew I was gonna be interviewing you today, you two, asked me to ask this question about what do you think about Wyoming? What do you know about Wyoming now that you didn't know before? Because neither have you, neither of you has ever been here, right? No, sadly no. no. Yeah, so what'd you learn about Wyoming in that experience? Wow, so, so much. So of course <laughs> I am here in the South and I have lived in the South my entire life. I grew up in South Carolina um, and moved to Arkansas in December of 1992. So I've traveled a lot, um, yet, you know, I have deep Southern roots. And so I laughed and I shared with um, one of the facilitators. I said, you know, I said, I, I really had no idea. I had a sense of the geography of mm -hmm. Wyoming. What I now know about Wyoming is the people mm -hmm. in the sense, the sense of the people and Oh my goodness. I was like, you know, I have made some amazing friendships in mm -hmm. Wyoming and I can't wait to come in person. I'm like, as soon as COVID <laughs> is done, we will figure this out. And so yes. I really have, because I, I know it was so geographically, um, you know, big, I often just had this sense of, well, um, there's a lot of, you know, just like farmland, that people are probably not as connected because you're spaced apart. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is, oh, it's not the land that connects the people. Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the spirit and it's the heart. And mm -hmm. I, I tell you, um, I don't know, again, it has been one of the most rewarding things that, that I've done and that I've been a part of professionally. 
I love that, Nicole. What people in Wyoming say is Wyoming's like one giant small town with really long streets. Um, <laughs> because if you talk to anybody for more than five minutes, you realize how you're connected here. So that's great. How about you, Joel? Yeah, I would say, you know, we learned a lot of cool state facts, mm, yes. <laughs> which we really appreciate. My favorite <laughs> is the suffrage. The beginning yeah, of the suffrage yes, yes. Um, well, I have a lot of favorites. Um, yeah, and for a state, yeah, I had uh, preconceived notions as well, um, you know, knowing that it was a state that wasn't densely populated and like the fewest people live in Wyoming of any state. Um, mm -hmm. And yet still, yes, I agree. The the connectedness, uh, you know, I'm from New Jersey, which is extremely densely populated. I lived in Manhattan <laughs> for a good part of my life. That is even... <laughs> <laughs> more densely populated Chicago, Seattle. Uh -huh. I mean, I've only lived in places where you literally are on top of everyone. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I made, I had preconceived notion of what it meant when you had more space between people. And I was totally incorrect. I think the connectedness we felt um, of people who lived hours and hours away from each other, yet it was like they were neighbors. I think that was, that was mm -hmm. really wonderful, a wonderful surprise. Yeah, and speaking of you know collaboration, the thing I would want to share that I think ensured the success of this collaboration with you all was how deeply you cared about learning about our context. Um, you didn't just show up and then start trying to get us to talk. We spent hours before we even convened the network with you all grilling us with questions about the state to try to understand us better. And I think that transfers across any setting when you're trying to collaborate. Just try to deeply understand the people and the place that you're working with and you're on well on the road to success if you can even just do that step. So you guys are a great example of that. And I just wanted to share that with everybody too. Um, okay, so we're about to wrap things up. Um, a couple of other questions for you two before we end. I just would love to hear you both share, like then you can't share each other. So it can't be each other. So you're freed okay. up from this. <laughs> um, like just a favorite collaborative partner why do you love collaborate, collaborating with this person? It could be anything. It can be in life. It doesn't have to be work too. It's just that's, that's such a hard question for me because I have so many collaborative relationships. <laughs> I will be honest though and tell you the one that I am enjoying the most right now mm -hmm. is the one that I'm having with Gracie, my nine-year-old. Uh -huh. So, of course, in the land of COVID, we are virtually schooling mm -hmm. and we've been in the home with each other now since the first, second week of March, mm -hmm. not that I'm counting the time. <laughs> and, <laughs> and what, what, and, and so now it's, it's very, the dynamics have shifted because of this new world that we're living in, that it really is between my schedule and her schedule and me also being her, she has a teacher that she meets with, but really I'm the primary teacher, you know, and, and she is dyslexic. And so I also am kind of her, her support teacher too. Mm -hmm. And so it really requires us to collaborate and to think together, to respect each other's boundaries and feelings and spaces. And even the idea that we, we are not as fortunate as Wyoming. We can't get out as much. We can get out some, we're mm -hmm. still in a densely populated area. So we can't get out as much. So we also have to collaborate on those things that we need to do just to exist and to mm -hmm. still have a joyful life. So if we can't go, we've canceled four vacations this year that we were scheduled to take. So what can we do instead? And so 
it I mean, I have to sit down with this. Well, I choose to sit down on the floor with this nine-year-old and say, okay, so let's think about what our week is going to look like. And let's think about what we're going to do. And today she said to me, she said, mom, we need to start back doing that thing. And I said, what thing? She (laughs) said, where you write down both of our schedules, because I need to know the times of your meetings. Mm -hmm. So I know what time we can then plan stuff. And so Mm -hmm. I am just, I am just having, I mean, it's, it has its challenges. Um, Mm -hmm. Yet I am enjoying this collaboration and just seeing her in a new light. So right now that would be the one I'm really enjoying the most. Thank you. And having seen Gracie on many a Zoom call yes, and know how fantastic that kid is, I think that you're right. And there's something about just recognizing what she brings to the collaboration for you. That's really beautiful. Yeah. And I just want to say, Nikki, you've seen this. Not everyone listening has had the privilege of meeting Gracie. She embodies what happens when a collaboration is reciprocal. Mm-hmm. You know, she is such a powerful <laughs> nine-year-old. She knows her own power. She knows her own voice because Nicole, you know, makes space for it. Mm -hmm. You are not, you are not bossing her around at all. (laughs) She would not have it. Uh No, there is no bossing. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary to see Mm -hmm. a mom interact with, uh, with a woman that way, you know, with a nine-year-old to think what kind of woman will she become that she's Mm -hmm. known her own voice, you know, for so long. It's just so beautiful. I totally agree, Joelle. How about you, Joelle? Yeah, so that was a hard question for me too. And um, I've been thinking about it. (laughs) I think honestly, the first person that comes to to mind is my husband, who I would not really have thought of as a collaborative partner until COVID, I would say, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we're at home together. Mm -hmm. Um, And our children are often home with us because every time their nose looks like it's going to run, they're home for, Uh (laughs) which is perfectly we completely appreciate that um, and feel like it's the safest thing for everyone. And so, yes, the idea of the, what we have had to learn about communication, and honestly, this is where I've practiced the five commitments the most, especially, you know, nurturing relationships and the idea of like, our relationship is more important than any other thing. And I'm mm-hmm. very fortunate that I have a workplace in which everyone says that yeah. <laughs> and understands that. And mm-hmm. um you know, it's the primary relationship in the house. And so the idea of the number of things we've had to adjust to collaborate to us, both being in the same space all day um, mm-hmm. on different meetings with loud voices and, um, <laughs> and mostly having kids home too. It's been really an adventure. And we're yeah. still married, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so far, that one's in. we still like each other. Yep, yeah, that's handy like too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we still like each other. That's, yeah. yeah. So Nikki, I'm curious, and it can't be us. Right. So- mm-hmm. Um, I would be curious to hear about a collaborative relationship that you are enjoying right now. Um, sure. It's a hard question, yeah. isn't it, Nikki? Yeah, now you see, <laughs> now I understand truly what I did to you. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, it's kind of a, I, I probably more f- sort of two relationships that I would talk about that are, they're just pretty similar and why they're so great. And they really do stem from, uh, like a deep understanding of each other and our motives and our like and relentlessly cutting each other slack and assuming the best. Um, and these are work relationships. So uh, if there's, for instance, like miscommunication, there's just an assumption that we can for sure figure that out. And there's just like this really core deep level of honesty about those things. And um, so then, and also just real 
respect for the other person's ideas. So there's just a lot of time spent wanting to know what the other person thinks and wanting to apply their guidance and their, you know, their ideas and valuing, valuing those as much as yourself, you know? And then I do think there's just sort of a common vision about how you want to do work, like how you want it to look, the way you want things to end up, the level of quality that you expect, like there's just sort of a shared understanding about that. Um, and that is, that's kind of hard to come by actually sometimes, but yeah, I think just knowing that um, somebody can know that much about me and still want to have me around and still work with me is really, it's, that's a huge piece of it, I think. So yeah, thanks for asking that. Thank you for answering. Okay, final question, ladies, because this is a podcast about learning. I'm just, I would love to know what's something you've just learned recently. It can be work or not that you're super excited about, like that you wanted to tell somebody about. I um, am kind of focused, you know, in the last probably five months or so on this idea of systemic racism. I'm not excited about it. I'm just mad about it. Sure. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I would say, you know, in, I would say before, let's say George Floyd's murder, I would have told you what I thought systemic racism was. And I would have mm -hmm. said that the system is broken. I would have been very wrong mm -hmm. in my, what I've been learning. I'm just starting to learn. And now I feel like what's wrong is that the system is working as intended, which is not my idea. It's just something that's yep. been introduced to me. Yep. So the idea of dismantling a broken, you know, a, a flawed system, a, a mm -hmm. system that doesn't work or does work and shouldn't work. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why I just feel like we're bringing this now to our work. All of us, we're talking about it. We're, um, you know, we're not changing what we do at Leading for Children. We're just focused on, um, on equity and, and um, we've always been, it's just raising that up, talking about that, making sure that's the first thing we lead with, making sure that we, you know, and, and in, in my own life, just questioning everything. It's not been easy it, it, and I'm just learning how, and I think I'm making a lot of mistakes probably, but it's been so important and it's like really helped me feel like um, I'm getting it. You know, I'm finally getting it. I feel like yes. I, I'm just getting it. So I don't know, you know, I think it's, a, it's what you asked is a really good question. And I just feel like it's hitting every aspect of my life in a way I wouldn't have thought before. And I'm just so glad for it. I feel like. Me really too. Excited. You just said that so well, Joel. Thank you. That really captures my feelings um, in the moment about that too. And I think my shift for me has been, the biggest shift has been to, instead of presuming I don't have blind spots, to presume that I do and start looking for those more actively. And um, instead of passively sort of getting away with not having to be concerned about those things because of the privileges I have, deciding that I have work to do and that there's not there's no time for me to rest um, because other people don't get to rest. So mm -hmm. yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. How about you, Nicole? What's something you've been learning? So I've been really learning, this is going to sound odd. I've been really learning more about me <laughs> and who I am as a person because I think I am a, an a huge introvert that will never change mm -hmm. yet because of all of the things that's been happening in our world one of my friends issued a challenge to me and she said you know she said we have these conversations and they're so enlightening she said and then I realized that you refuse to be seen like you are so comfortable in the background mm -hmm. she said and 
I just want to invite you to be brave. So I, um, I ran across this old quote that I always um, had before by Dolly Chug. And so it led me to go to her TED talk, which is about letting go of being a good person Mm -hmm. and being a better person. And so I just recently purchased her book like yesterday and waiting for it to come. It'll be here tomorrow. You know how Amazon work, but it's Uh called the person you mean to be. And it's really about how good people fight bias. And so it's this idea that I've given myself the, the permission to, to stop standing in the shadows and to be willing to, to be who I am, to be unapologetically who I am. And so I am so looking forward to reading um, this book by Dolly Shug because I think that that's going to be a pivotal part in my path. I'm so excited to hear you say that. We we did a book study of that book with the Professional Learning Collaborative Facilitators this summer. And then um, we had a retreat where we shared out and um, that was some really challenging, really amazing work uh, that that started with us. It's not done, but um, yeah, that, that was a, that's a transformative book. I highly recommend it to anybody that's listening in to get that book. Nikki, um, can it, we ask you that question too? Sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious um, what you would say. If he knew it was coming. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, this is this one's gonna sound really silly based on what you just have shared. But truly the thing I'm most excited about in the last two weeks is that I'm learning Tai Chi. Oh, I love and, Tai Chi. And um and it's the hardest thing I've ever tried to learn, like in a long time. And it's really good for me. It's a thing about learning about myself too, Nicole. Like the talk about intention, like doing everything with such great, clear intention. You don't even move a millimeter without clear intention of your body and understanding my body in that way um, has been really fascinating. So it's really something to watch me in my basement trying to practice the 24 forms. And, um, and I keep, the thing is, I, I thought of this one because I really do keep like bugging the people in my life about it. And like, <laughs> listen, I've been learning Tai Chi. Do you want to hear about it? Um, so anyway, but it's actually, I do think it gets at the heart of what I'm trying to do is just be more intentional mm-hmm. in all the parts of my life. And it's helping me like physically have to figure out how to do that. So yeah, so that's mine. Very cool. I think that's pretty awesome. Um, my mom studied Tai Chi. So that's, yeah, I need to, because of COVID, there's no way that I can be with a group of people doing it. So I'm just staring at my DVDs right now and doing my best. So hopefully I can join a community at some point and learn from them about it. So that's cool. Well, ladies, I hate to bring this to a close. I could just do this with you both all day, but Uh, We do need to end this podcast interview. And I just want to thank you, Nicole and Joelle, for such a thought-provoking conversation. um, And honestly, for your friendship and all the things you've taught me in this last year that we've had a chance to work together. And I just want to thank our listeners for joining us on Voices from the Village. This podcast is made possible with support from the Federal Preschool Development Grant. And it's produced by the University of Wyoming Early Childhood Outreach Network. We recorded this interview today on Zoom. The podcast is directed and edited by Bryce Tugwell. 